Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and more importantly, welcome back, Giants fans, to another episode of the Say Hey Podcast, the podcast that is home to all things Giants baseball. Folks, before we dive into today's show, I would like to take a moment to let you know that you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, then don't be afraid to subscribe. And if you really like the show, then make sure to leave a review. But most importantly, make sure to spread the word. With that being said, let's dive right in. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Say Hey Podcast, episode 26. I'm your host today, James Donahue, as I am for every show, and hopefully that's not a deal breaker for you. Folks, we definitely have a great show for you today because joining us is Mr. Alex Pavlovic, who is the, quote, trusted voice for all San Francisco Giants fans. That's right. Pavlovic covers the Giants for NBC Sports Bay Area, and he is absolutely someone I trust with any information having to do with the Giants. Along with finding Alex on Twitter at PavlovicMBCS, you can also find him on Instagram with the same name at PavlovicMBCS, and you can find all the articles he writes on NBCSportsBayArea.com. As I just mentioned, he is the reporter I trust most in this business, and it truly was such an amazing experience to be able to work with him, especially because of how well he does his job in covering the Giants. Now, do yourself a favor and make sure you're following him on all platforms so you can be as informed as possible on all things Giants baseball. Now, this interview is a little different than the Sean Anderson interview in that I had to send over my questions for Alex to answer and record his answers separately due to his busy schedule. And then I just inserted his answers into the show. So a little different, but still it worked out perfectly. Folks, be sure to stick around for the whole episode because Alex and I talk talk about things like exciting names in the Giants farm system, how he feels about the Kevin Gosman deal, and of course, Trevor Bauer's name kind of gets tossed around a little bit. So without further ado, sit back, relax, keep those stretchy pants on from Thanksgiving, and enjoy Mr. Alex Pavlovic. All right, Alex, so this year has been different in a number of ways for everyone because of COVID. For your job specifically, how has this year been different? Did you get to go to the ballpark a lot? If so, what was the protocol everyone had to go through when they showed up at the ballpark? Yeah, I think this year obviously has been completely different. And and for me, it was really, really different in the way I did my job. Um, I didn't go to the ballpark at all this year. It it was a company thing, a health and safety thing. Um, But yeah, I covered, I think, 56 out of 60 games, but did them all from home. And that would have been the case for road games anyway, but home games as well, um, covered from home, which there were benefits. I could definitely work a little bit more, um, didn't have to commute. I could do a little bit more at night, uh, and that was good. I think going forward, it'll be interesting. Like We were able to do the pre- and post-game show with me at home, um, had a studio set up there, so I'll, I'll be curious to see what we can do in the future and maybe maximize how much work I can do um, by not commuting as much or maybe not traveling as much, but... It was really different, uh, and I, I miss being at the park. I miss being able to chat with guys, but um, just part of the year we had, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll definitely be interesting to see what the future holds for everyone, especially the fans. You know, at this current moment in time, there there's anything but certainty when it comes to the future of the 2021 season. So we'll all just have to wait and see what happens next. All right, moving on to the next question. 
An opinion I've expressed on this podcast is that Giants fans should not be worried about the fact that Gosman's deal is for one year because both parties have shown interest in reaching a multi-year deal. I view the recent signing as something that buys both parties time to reach a long-term deal. And I was wondering if that's something you agree with. What are your overall opinions on the signing as a whole? Um, with deals like this, you know, I'm I'm never really sure what's going to come next. I think, you know, they always talk about multi-year deals. But in my experience, if you don't get that done originally, it's probably not getting done until the next time you're a free agent. I know we see extensions from time to time and things like that. But I do think it's probably more likely that both sides move on and, and see what happens next season and how he pitches and um, you know, maybe at some point then during the season or maybe at the end of the season, you want to revisit a, a two or three year deal. But I think it probably makes sense right now for them to just go into this with a one year deal. Um, for me, it was a good deal. You know, any one year deal is going to be a good deal for the most part. And, uh, you know, he's somebody they needed back. I, I really think we saw a lot of signs this year of somebody who's who's just getting better and better. And so for me, he, he's, you know, going to be their ace. Uh, most likely and, and they needed him back and so that that cost even though it's a lot I, I think it was important to have him back and for 18.9 million I mean they can afford that for a year and, and figure out what they want to do long term figure out if if this is for real and, and if they want him around for three or four years yeah I agree I think it's definitely no secret that the Giants really didn't need Gosman back especially after the type of the season he had but I am hopeful that both parties can figure out maybe at least a two-year deal at the end of the 2021 season but Alex is right. We'll just have to wait and see what happens during the season in order to really determine what comes next for the Giants and Gosman both. All right, moving on to the next question. In your article about possible bullpen free agent options the Giants could go after, which one of those options is your favorite and why? You're putting me on the spot a little bit to try to remember all the names because I've, I've done a lot about uh, relievers and starting pitchers and um, kind of middle-of-the-pack options, guys like that. One that stood out, just because I, I think the history he has with the Giants was, was Wade Davis. And not that I am reporting this at all or know any connection there. For all I know, he might be done. Um, but this is a guy who was really good back in the day and, and somebody I enjoyed watching when he was on the other side in Kansas City. And I, I think it's difficult. We, we saw what happened a few times with guys who have left cores and, and some relievers. You know, the Dodgers did it, picked up a guy who left cores, and, and he was pretty good for him. So... I don't know if he has anything left, but I think that would be interesting and, and somebody who has closed before and has experience. And, and maybe if you can get a couple ticks back on that fastball, and um, maybe you find something there. Okay, real quick, before I respond and kind of break down Alex's response to this question, I just want to quickly mention that, again, you can head on over to NBCSportsBayArea.com where you can find all of the articles that Alex writes. And you can also find the article that I'm referring to in this question. In the article, some names that were mentioned were Blake Trinan, who is my favorite of all the free agents, right-handed relievers, and also Trevor May, who has been dominating for the Twins over the past couple of years. And another name that I actually mentioned in episode 19 of the Say Hey podcast is Shane Green, who played for the Braves this year. And by this year, I mean this past year, 2020, but also has the closer role on his resume during his time in Detroit. So after you're done listening to this episode, make sure to head on over to NBC Sports Bay Area to read a bunch of articles, then head back on over to the Say Hey Podcast and listen to episode 19 to hear some of the names I thought the Giants should maybe consider during this offseason. 
I think I'm actually going to do a part two of that series since a good portion of the offseason is still ahead of us. And as more players sign with different teams, I think it's good to talk about the players who have yet to be signed. So be on the lookout for that in the future. All right, my apologies. The plug is officially over. Moving on to Alex's response. Yes, I agree. Wade Davis could be a good option for the Giants. I think it would be an option that is more on the short-term side of things considering his age, which is 35. But that's honestly what the Giants are doing right now currently. They're just investing in fillers. Excuse me for my pause. But they're investing in fillers so that they can just keep a competitive team on the surface while... Their young prospects can come up. Uh, so I also worry about the struggles he's experiencing lately, and that's Wade Davis uh, in his career, because last year he pitched 50 games and produced an ERA of 8.65. And 2020 was a season that consisted of a lot of time on the DL, but that usually means you can sign those play- those types of players for cheap anyways. So Davis definitely is an option that should be considered. All right, next question. The Giants' farm system has made great strides over the past few years. Who are some names in the system that really get you excited? Uh, This one's tough. I mean, you could choose a lot of guys in the top 10. You could choose a lot of guys in that second 10. There's a lot of pitching talent there. You know, I I think at the bottom of their top 30 list or in the middle of their top 30 list, a lot of guys you could choose there. I'm going to choose two guys that that really excite me because I I think, you know, they have a chance to be special. and they have a few guys like this. I mean, obviously Luciano and, and, and guys like that, Bart, Ramos. But Hunter Bishop is just such a phenomenal athlete. And I, I think he hasn't played a whole lot, but some of what we've seen, I mean, just the athleticism from him, you know, has a chance to different, differentiate himself. Um, so that to me is is somebody I'm watching. Um, you know, Hunter is, is a really positive guy. I know he wants to be great. It's going to work at this. It was set back by COVID this year, but... You know, he, he's such a good athlete and, and so different than a lot of what they had over the years um, that it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with him. And then and then the other guy, Luis Matos, um, I just think he has, you know, the prettiest swing in the organization and just really seems to have a good idea of what he's doing. And, and for a teenager to have a swing like that, uh, it's pretty incredible. And, uh, you know, I, I know they joke about just not screwing him up, but he really looks like somebody who, who can be a superstar hitter. And he's an outfielder. And, you know, if he can stick in in center there, um, that would make him a pretty special talent as well. So those are two high upside guys, I I think, that maybe don't get talked about as much as as some other high upside prospects. But those are two guys I have my eye on. I couldn't agree more with Alex on this question. And maybe it's because I'm biased when it comes to Hunter Bishop since we went to the same high school. But Alex mentioned his athleticism, and it's no joke. Not only was Hunter a baseball stud, but he was also the best player on the football team. And that is definitely saying something when you play it at a high school that bred the greatest athletes of all time for their sport, Tom Brady and Barry Bonds. Yes, that's right. And not to mention, Bishop is six foot five. The man is an absolute beast. And there are early talks that his ceiling can be a 30 home run, 30 stolen base type of player for the Giants. So that is absolutely something to get excited about. I agree. As for the other player Alex mentioned, Luis Matos, I think he might be another one of the many diamonds in the rough Farhan Zaidi has been able to find because in 2019, in 60 games between the Dominican League and the Arizona League, he produced a 367 batting average with 21 stolen bases while also hitting 7 home runs and 24 doubles. 
He's a young center fielder who has plus speed, and the Giants believe he hasn't fully even reached his potential yet when it comes to power. So yes, Alex is most definitely right. Another exciting player in the Giants farm system that's on the rise. All right, next question. Jake Lamb is a name that I've mentioned before as a cheap left-handed bat the Giants could go after this offseason. The reason why I like him is because of his career 313 batting average at Oracle Park and his ability to supply big-time power and solid defense. In fact, in 2017, which was a full season, he only committed 14 errors, which was the same amount of errors committed by Manny Machado. I know he is historically a high strikeout player, but... Things seemed to change once he went to Oakland. He only struck out eight times of 49 plate appearances. So would this be a good option for the Giants to to pursue this offseason, in your opinion? I've always liked Jake Lamb. Uh, You know, obviously the Giants have have had their troubles with him, especially Santiago Casilla had issues with him. I think the problem there, and he was good with the A's, but I I think the problem there is just positional fit. Um, He's pretty limited in terms of what he can do. I mean, he's a corner guy. And you have Longoria, you have Belt, you have Wilmer Flores. You don't know if there's going to be a DH. Uh, they have Jason Fosler now, who's maybe a little bit more flexible and maybe can move around a little bit more. So I think it'd be really hard for them to carry just a left-handed hitter who plays first and third. So let me just quickly mention before I respond to this that I sent these questions before the Giants actually signed Vossler. With that being said, I still wanted to keep the question in this interview because this gives us an opportunity to not only just break down the Vossler signing, but also just, you know, just revisit it. The Giants signing Jake Lamb would make no sense after signing Vossler. So absolutely, Alex is correct. There really is no point to going out and signing a player you already have a lot of depth at. So with that being said, this move signing Vossler absolutely screams Farhan and has his name plastered all over it. I mentioned it on the show before, but Vossler was able to produce a 934 OPS against right-handed pitching along with producing a 291 batting average and he hit 20 home runs in 2019 in AAA for the Padres. So I think the Giants are absolutely excited to see how this plays out and yes he does play third base and I think he is also eligible for first so going out and signing Jake Lamb would definitely not make sense. All right next question what would you say the identity of the Giants team is? My default answer when people ask me is a team that's rebuilding, but then I think to myself, not a lot of rebuilding teams can compete the way the Giants team did in 2020. How is this team different than other rebuilding teams, in your opinion? Um, The identity, I think they're, you know, sneakily rebuilding. I I think they're doing this actually in a really smart way. I mean, if you're you're an organization like they are, um, a big money organization, you don't want to just tear it down. You don't want to do what the Astros did and just start over. I mean, I don't think any organization should do that. I think that's a slap in the face to your fans. But uh, I think they have been rebuilding very quietly, have been rebuilding the farm system, obviously have been rebuilding the back end of the 40-man roster, have been getting their payroll under control and making sure that you know they have flexibility there, which they're about a year away from from being as flexible as anybody in terms of payroll. So they've done a lot of smart things, but at the same time, they've made a lot of minor moves um, just to compete in you know, I, I think that's they should be credited for that. Um, they haven't given up. They haven't said we're going to lose 100 games, 110 games. We're going to get the number one pick in the draft two years in a row and do it that way. I think they see that there's a different way to do it. And part of that is just finances. I mean, part of that is knowing that you can't bottom out at Oracle Park. And obviously COVID changed it. But, I mean, you don't want to come in here and, and 
think that you're going to have 15,000 fans a night for three years. That's not the way they want to do it either. Um, but I, I think it, it's just a sneaky, quiet rebuild. I always write rebuild. I, I think this is a rebuild. I mean, if, if you look at what they're doing, they really are aiming at 2022 or 2023 and, and trying to become a, a power the way the Dodgers have been. But in the meantime, I mean, they're not going to tear it down to the studs. They're going to go out there and try to compete. Alex brings up a good point here, and I definitely agree with him when he says that completely tearing down a team is a disservice to the fans watching because it is. It, it absolutely is. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, well, they've got to trade Yaz or they've got to trade Solano, but I think that completely defe- defeats the purpose of what the Giants are trying to do, which is you know rebranding what it means to not only play in San Francisco, but also what it means to being a part of this team. The Giants front office and the organization as a whole are completely changing the image of Oracle Park to where it's not only just a pitcher's park anymore. It can also be a hitter's park and it can be a place where players come from all over to find success in their career. But at the same time, while they're doing that, providing a a competitive team for fans to watch that is... The Giants are also slowly rebuilding for a future that's even more competitive. So at the end of all this, when people ask me in the future what I think the Giants are doing, my answer here on out will always be a competitive rebuild. All right, next question. On my podcast, I recorded two separate shows grading the Giants hitters and the Giants pitchers, but someone I didn't grade was Gabe Kapler. If you could give Gabe Kapler a letter grade, what would it be and why? If I could give Kapler a letter grade, what would it be? Um, I think I would give him a B. I think, you know, look, they were a game away from making the playoffs, and a lot of that had to do with the shortened season, and a lot of that had to do with the expanded postseason, certainly. But I, I think, you know, for the most part, he did a pretty good job with the team that most people thought was going to be well out of it. And if you asked most people before the season, if you asked me, I probably would have said they would go 25 and 35. So they did a little bit better than expected. Um, I'd knock him down because I, I think – you know, the Trevor Gott sequence was pretty glaring at the time. And uh, I also think that Friday night at the end of the season, I mean, it, it was a tough spot to be in, but it just really looked like Sam Coonrod didn't want to be on the mound. And that was that was hard to watch. Um, and I, I think, you know, those ultimately go on the staff a little bit and they have to take some responsibility for those situations and, and the situations that they were in. And, um, you know, given that they missed the playoffs by one game, you look at the way they handled the ninth inning at some points, and I don't think it was the best way to handle it. Um, I think the first week of the season, we saw some issues with the pitching staff as well, and maybe there's a different way to handle that. But in general, I mean, look, he did a really good job of hiring a good staff. He brought really good people, and they did a nice job of, of getting the most out of veterans, of, of getting the most out of young players. And I, I just think in a season where where a lot happened, a lot was thrown at them that they didn't expect. Uh, they handled it pretty well. And, you know, they also made themselves kind of a, you know, they put themselves at the forefront there of the kneeling um, and the speaking out against police brutality. And, and you know, Gabe never backed down from that. And, and even when it became difficult and even when maybe he got some negative attention, um, he never backed down. He was always willing to answer questions, was always willing to stand up for what he believed is right. So, I give him credit for everything he did. I, I think, you know, you just knock him down a little bit because they, they fell short and, and maybe fell short in, in some very glaring ways. But in general, I think his first season was a huge success. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, Kapler did make some pretty eye-popping mistakes, such as the infamous double visit to the mound during the extra innings game against San Diego during the beginning of the season. But 
The thing about Kapler is that he was able to show that he can adapt throughout the season and that he's definitely learned from his mistakes. But what I respect most when it comes to Kapler was that there was no hesitation that came from him when it came to the mistakes that he made. During press conferences, he was upfront about his mistakes and he owned them in the moment. And that really spoke volumes to me. It's also really important to me when I hear players talk about how much they respect him as a coach, like Sean Anderson did during our interview. He mentioned that Kapler was someone that was very approachable and someone that is going to have your back no matter what the situation is. So yes, were there memorable instances that may not have been the most positive? Yeah, sure, absolutely. But what's always going to stand out to me the most was how he was able to lead this team to a possible playoff run. All right, from what I've heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost certain the DH will not be returning to the National League for the 2021 season. Are you going to miss watching the DH play out in the National League? Is your opinion on the DH more traditional in that it should stay in the American League? Now, my fear is that we as Giants fans will not enjoy watching the Giants play without a DH now that Bumgarner is gone. Plus, I thought the DH could really help the longevity of Buster Posey. Yeah, this one, I, I don't know about. I mean, I, I think even people within the game aren't quite sure what's going to happen with the DH, and, and it sounds like maybe in December we'll start to hear a little bit more. Um, I changed my mind on it. I've, I've always been a National League guy. I've always been a, a guy who enjoys not just Baumgartner hitting, but obviously on Twitter I'm very vocal about relief pitchers hitting and how interesting that is and how much fun I think that is. But I got to say, just watching you know day in, day out, week by week, I, I didn't miss it. Um, I kind of came around a little bit, and so I, I, I'm a little bit just ambivalent. Like I, I think if the players want it and and ownership wants it and it brings a little bit more offense, um, if pitchers want it, then that's fine. I, I'm not gonna be too up in arms about it anymore. Um, you know, and ultimately it'll bring a little bit more offense, which which can certainly be help, helpful uh, given what we've seen from the game in the last few years. Um, I think the one thing I'll I'll push back on you. Uh, you know, you wrote. I thought the DH could really help the longevity of Buster Posey. I'm not sure. I, you know, I I think one thing we're going to see, and they didn't plan to play Buster at first this year, because quite frankly, I mean, Wilmer Flores is is the more dangerous hitter, and we'll see what Buster looks like when he comes back. But I think if you're putting together your lineup, if you're Gabe Kapler and and uh, Buster's not in the lineup that day, I'm I'm not sure how many times you're going to think who's a better option as your DH than a, a Wilmer Flores or you know, a Darren Ruff or maybe Alex Dickerson, I don't know, somebody like that. So I, I don't know that that'll extend his career too much longer. Um, the best thing he does right now is catch, but it'll extend other guys' careers and, and certainly make somebody like Flores a lot more valuable. Um, it could be helpful to somebody like Belt, who's had a lot of leg issues and, and maybe needs to stay off his feet a little bit. And yet again, Alex brings up another great point, which is probably why he's so good at his job. Using Posey as a DH means Wilmer Flores would most likely have to take a seat on the bench, but the Giants' offense would, without a doubt, be better with both of those bats in the lineup for as many games as possible, along with Belt, Solano, and Longoria, which would be the other players that would have to take a seat if you wanted to use Posey as the DH and put Flores on the field. I really hope the DH stays in the National League. I was under the impression that it was almost a done deal, that it wouldn't be returning, but it sounds like nothing has been decided yet. Watching the game with the DH in play honestly made the full length of games more entertaining, unlike before when some innings would be so boring and fast because besides Bumgarner, when a pitcher took his spot in the batter's box, 
it was almost a guaranteed out or bunt. I would much rather see Mauricio Dubon hit than a reliever or Johnny Cueto. Adding that extra bat in the lineup gives teams a better chance at scoring runs, so I definitely hope the DH stays in the National League. All right, moving on to our second to last question. What was your favorite slash most memorable moment of the 2020 season? To me, these are two very different things. I think there are a lot of moments I won't forget. Um, you know, certainly when they started kneeling, that was a big deal. And the way we had to cover that was was something new. Uh, you know, the Sam Coonrod press conference is something I will never forget. And, and transcribing those quotes and putting them out on Twitter and, and seeing how that took off um, was memorable, to say the least. Uh you know, the game where they got pulled off the field in San Diego because Alex Dickerson had a false positive, that was memorable, uh, something I will never forget, something I probably will never, hopefully will never cover again. Um, so those are all memorable. I, I think favorite, if you're looking for a positive moment, um, you know, the game in Coors Field where they just demolished them and Dickerson went nuts, that was a fun That was a fun night. And, and it was one of those nights where it was, it was very reminiscent of a lot of other nights we have at the ballpark where we're looking up stats, we're on baseball reference trying to figure out when was the last time this happened or the last time that happened. And uh, that was a nice break in the, in the middle of a, a difficult year for everybody and, and a strange year in a lot of ways to just be sitting there and, and looking up, you know, Willie Mays stats and, and, and things like that. So that was a nice positive moment. That's true. I forget sometimes that favorable and memorable are not necessarily synonymous all the time. I think the entire season will definitely be a memorable one, just like how this entire year will always be one of the most memorable for many different reasons, but I agree. The night Alex Dickerson absolutely owned the Rockies in Colorado when he went 5-for-6 and hit three home runs and two doubles and also managed to draw a walk. That night, he led the Giants to a 23-5 victory, and there were multiple standout performances offensively, such as Bell going 3-for-3, Yaz hitting a triple, Solano had four hits, and Crawford had three hits of his own, including a home run he hit that night. The Giants as a team produced a total of 27 hits that night, and it was truly something that I will never forget. Another favorite moment that I have for the 2020 season that stands out to me is when Yaz hit a walk-off bomb for his second homer of the night during the first series against the San Diego Padres in the beginning of the year. Other than the obvious reasons why that game was so positive, it was also the moment I realized that this team was special, especially the offense. All right, last question of the interview. I keep hearing rumors that the Giants are in the mix to sign Trevor Bauer. Is it just a rumor at this point? In my opinion, signing Trevor Bauer is a move for teams that are guaranteed to being postseason contenders, especially if he continues to sign one-year deals. However, if there is anything we've learned about Trevor Bauer, it's that he is very unpredictable and does not stick to the status quo in the world of baseball. In your opinion, would signing Trevor Bauer be beneficial for the Giants? He's the best pitcher in the National League, so obviously it would be fun to have him. But I'm just worried he would be too expensive. Um, you know, this is where I, I say be careful. I, I think I, there are no Giants Trevor Bauer rumors. If there are rumors out there, it's just people on Twitter saying we want Trevor Bauer. That to me is is the rumor. Um, just Giants fans who want Trevor Bauer, so that becomes a, a thing. Uh, as far as I know, as of this moment, um, there's no connection there. I don't think anybody else has reported a connection there. And, and so people need to be careful with the rumors. I, I will say, you know, what we know about Trevor is that he's different and he does things a different way. So it would not shock me if he, you know, foregoes the conventional wisdom, which is that he will go to 
the Mets or he will go to the Padres or, you know, a contender and does that whole thing um, and just goes the other way and says, hey, I'm going to go to somebody like the Giants and and see if I can turn him into a contender on my own. It wouldn't shock me if he if he wanted to do that. Uh, I'd be very wary on the other side of that. And I, I think he's a really good pitcher. And I had a Cy Young vote and I had him at the top of my ballot, obviously. I'd just be wary if I'm the Giants, and I think they are wary, of just spending in in the wrong way this year. Um, you know, they they just came off the Samarja deal. The Cueto deal is about to finish. Both of those have t- turned out poorly. Uh, most of those long-term deals for starting pitchers turn out poorly. So if that's what I was looking for, this is probably not the time to do that if you're the Giants. You know, they've had a lot of success with guys who are much cheaper, the Kevin Gossmans of the world, the Drew Smiley's. I think there's a way to do that this offseason as well. If he wants to come on a one-year deal and it's not insane, um, yeah, that's that's fine. But I, I think if it gets into you know the three, four-year range, if you're talking 90 million, 100 million, 150, this is not the time for that if I'm the Giants. So, of course, just like I have all episode and throughout this entire interview, again, I agree with Alex when he says that we need to be careful about these rumors. John Heyman, who is an insider for MLB Network, on a podcast openly came out and predicted that Bauer would sign with the Giants for five years for $150 million. And Mark Feinstein, who is the MLB.com executive reporter and is also an MLB Network insider, has also come out and stated that the Giants could be a good fit for Bauer. But I think I'm going to have to 100% agree with Alex when he said that signing Bauer to a long-term contract would not be a good idea for the Giants. And along with him mentioning Cueto and Samarja, you can even go back to the seven-year deal Zito signed with the Giants back in 2007, I believe, and we all know how that turned out. I do agree that there is a world where Bauer signs a one-year deal with the Giants for the 2021 season. However, I'm definitely not hopeful. If it's a one-year deal for the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner, that contract can look as expensive as $24 million for just one year. And even though the Giants might be willing to do that, and it would be exciting, don't get me wrong, I just don't necessarily see the point in spending that much for one year on one person. I would much rather see the Giants, and this is also something that Alex said, sign pitchers for cheap that have a lot of upside like they did with Smiley and Gosman. All right, everybody, not only is that the conclusion of the interview, but it is also the end of today's show. Folks, if you've stuck around this long, I would like to formally say thank you for your love and support of the show. It is appreciated as always. And I would also like to take a moment to say thank you to Alex Pavlovic for devoting time in his busy day to answer the questions that I sent him. And again, folks, don't forget to follow Alex on Twitter and Instagram. And also, be sure to read all the amazing and informative articles he writes on NBC Sports Bay Area. And as always, folks, please make sure to continue to be safe and healthy out there. But most importantly, go Giants.